welcome once again to Breakfast All Day. It's a great day. It's Saturday here Look how in Palos Verdes. So, do you do you guys hear that? Can you hear that? That echo? No, that's nothing. <laughs> that's called quiet. That's called the peace and quiet of living in paradise. Um, so I'm so thrilled. I miss the dogs and the sirens of my neighborhood. <laughs> and the garbage trucks. <laughs> the garbage trucks do come by eventually. We have no trash here in Palace Verdes. Anyway, my friends Matt and Alonzo have come to see me on this beautiful Saturday morning. I'm so thrilled to see you both. Thank you for making the schlep down Thanks here. Thanks for having us. Yes. Um, we, I don't know. Alonzo, it, is, pull our sound down a little bit. Are you guys too loud? A little bit. Okay. Like anyway, yeah, we're, we're, we're messing with uh, okay. with noise levels here. Anyway, um, we did not get a chance to talk to you guys yesterday, talk to each other yesterday. We had a, a cornucopia of obstacles that, that came our way. Matt, tell us about your dog. Uh, yeah, Sabrina barfed <laughs> in my car. Oh. Yeah. You know, those who follow me on Instagram uh, or Twitter will have seen that. I, I didn't post a picture of the barf, but uh, <laughs> post, you for that. post uh, <laughs> barfy Sabrina. She felt bad. Wait, no. so, so walk us through. Where were you when this happened? So. I was uh, about halfway to Alonzo's, and she started, it sounded like a cough, and then I was like, oh, no. And so I immediately pull over. I'm like, no, don't puke in the car. And she at least didn't puke on the carpet. I have uh, leather seats, so on the seats and the console and stuff that was easily cleaned up. Um, she, the was car- in the, she was in the back seat or the front no, she seat? Was on the, she, she rides in the footwell on the passenger side of the car. She doesn't. She's not a uh, head-out-the-window dog. Okay. Um, she's a... Either sit on the like curl up on the seat or curl up in the footwell. Um, she likes to hide out, I guess. You know, there's a whole thing where you can like strap your dog to the back of your car. Like, I mean, not the back, but like the back. No, like, <laughs> that's, like, like, Romney, that's like a Mitt Romney like, thing. Like a deer no. that you've gone hunting. No, and but no, 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 no. But like, like there's like a seatbelt situation in the back seat of the car yes. where you can actually strap your dog in. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, she does not do that. She in, <laughs> in the family car that we have, she'll ride in the back seat. That's bigger, but I have that little car, so it, she does, she'll ride in the back seat if somebody else is in the front seat. But okay. she likes to ride in the front. She prefers that. There's more space. But if she's curled up in the front seat, I have to put the seatbelt on because she's heavy enough to set off the seatbelt sensor. Oh, because <laughs> yeah. so she's like a person. She's sixty pounds, right. and the seatbelt sensor goes off at like somewhere. Under that, so I have to put the seatbelt not on her, but in the latched in. Thing. Yeah. Oh. Anyway, so we're all here today. Um, I know, and some folks on Twitter were asking, like, "Where's your Joker review?" Mm. Oh, do we have some thoughts on Joker? And so we decided it wasn't that big a movie. <laughs> we weren't going to cover it. We don't care about controversy. We're here to talk about <laughs> itty bitty little weird indies. Um, so, Joker. Who wants to describe Joker? Uh, okay. <laughs> uh, so Joaquin Phoenix plays a guy named Arthur Fleck, who is a uh, clown and would-be stand-up comic in a very grimy Gotham City circa 1980-81. And um, the city is a disaster. There's a garbage strike, which is breeding super rats, which sadly we never get to see, because when you promise... No, you, you super do. Ra- you, do? you do? Okay, okay, sorry. Do. We do get to see super rats. I don't remember rats. a super oh, yeah. rat. Strike that. Oh, yeah. Uh, uh, not enough super rats for my money. Then. I mean, they don't have capes. Um, They're not like crypto. The right? super dogs. Where are the the freaking laser beams? Anyway, um, those are sharks. He is uh, he's upset and you know has deal is dealing with a lot of stuff. He's taking care of his ailing mother, played by Francis Conroy. Um, he is. 
uh, further alienated from society around him, and there's budget cuts in the city, so he's not getting his the meds that he needs. And um, one day he snaps, and when that happens, it, it just so happens that there's a sort of a brewing discontent in Gotham City because uh, a millionaire turned politician Thomas Wayne has referred to the working class as clowns, which dovetails with um, what Arthur is up to, and it's all heading to a breaking point. And if you've ever seen Taxi Driver or The King of Comedy, you'll know what all those breaking points are. Yeah, there's there's a lot of borrowing going on here. So much. <laughs> um, I walked out of this film kind of hating it. I mean, a- appreciating some of the craft at work here, but feeling like it's all just empty, vapid style. And it's trying so hard to be so serious and so about something. Why so serious? Why so serious indeed. <laughs> and, t- and so Todd Phillips directed this, and, yeah. and he has said, and we can talk about this later on too, that um, you know he wanted to make this transition out of the kind of comedies he made his name on, like old school and like the hangover movies and just something more serious because you just can't make comedies anymore because of woke oh, well, and, boo, and boo. culture. Actually, like what, what, what's being widely quoted and talked about is it's less that he wanted to do something serious so much as like, I can't do comedy anymore. So I'm going to do something really, really angry in your face, in your yeah. face and really dark. And so we're just going to pretend war dogs never happened. Right. I, I had forgotten about it entirely, but I guess that was his like baby step towards something I really serious so, with yeah. that there. Um, so Joaquin Phoenix cannot help but be great and give a really deeply physical performance. He always does. Um, there's stuff going on with his body. He lost a whole bunch of weight for this. And yeah. there's stuff going on with his body with like his shoulder blades and right. his he looked hips. Like he dislocated he's his like arm. contorting his body and like it's like the physical manifestation of his inner turmoil. And, and he can be chilling and he can be quite arresting in this. But so much of it is so repetitive. Todd Phillips likes to shoot Joaquin Phoenix in extreme close-up, mm. chain-smoking, and or cackling maniacally at his own inner thoughts and right. demons it, over and over again. It's, this is, it's obnoxious. Right. You talk about the uh, detail. This, is a, this, this movie does for Joaquin Phoenix's fingernails what the lord of the rings movies do for elijah wood's fingernails like oh those guys bite him right down to the quick um i'm not the biggest joaquin phoenix fan in the world but i acknowledge that he's doing a thing here like he's acting he is no no, i mean like he's he is he is giving the movie what the movie needs him to do and he's do he's giving the performance i think uh, clearly that he's been directed to give I don't love it, but it's. I think that he's the kind of actor who um, is not. Not everybody's going to be on board for it. Like you know, Tom Hanks or whatever will do a thing. You're like, oh yeah, that was great. And like I think generally people are fine with it. And then there are performers where. You are either on board for that style of acting and that manner of presentation or not. And my not being on board with it does not make it not a good performance. I just It's just not my bag. Similar, it makes me think a little bit, not in the style, but but that kind of performance that will divide people of Brad Pitt in 12 Monkeys. Right, for like instance. Brad, for instance, right, like it's a, that's a different type of performance. But yeah. Brad Pitt goes for it in a really, really far out way that he's clearly been directed, or at least on board by the director, yeah. uh, Elizabeth Berkley in uh, Showgirls. Uh, you know that is she like, was told no, to do that. No, no, no. I think I, she gets a lot of right. crap for no, that, no, but, I think, right. but she she is doing exactly what her director asked her to do and committing to it fully. Yeah. 
So, right. So, uh, but beyond the fact that it's totally repetitive, there's also a great deal of hand holding going on here. Oh God! And the yeah. score does so much heavy lifting. But there's there's a twist. We're gonna do a whole there, separate right. spoiler. There, 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 there is a reveal in this movie that I, that we won't give away. That I, when it first happened, I thought, oh. Oh, that's good. Oh, I didn't see that coming. And then the movie takes like two minutes to walk you through every step of the thing of the what's being revealed and how you misjudged it before. And it's like, in case you didn't notice, really, Todd Phillips, <laughs> are you, you, do you have that little credence in your audience that you have to like? You, it's like the the magician coming out and saying, "Well, actually, there was a secret compartment in the thing." And the mm. it's very annoying. Yeah. yeah. So you know, I am not on board with the whole idea that this is going to incite violence in people. I I think that's it's it's a ridiculous thing to blame art for people's actions and yeah. I, i'm not on board with that i don't know that it's good enough to, to actually you know, move I, people to action no, I I, yeah I, like look if, if 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 we find it ridiculous every time there's a mass shooting and they want to play blame video games or you know marilyn manson or whatever the hell the the new target is yeah i'm certainly not going to get on board with the the idea that this is going to you know make incel nation set itself on fire or whatever but yeah you're right mm-hmm. i think part of it is because <clears throat> the movie is so politically vague about what it even stands for or what it's trying to say i think that almost any inclination any political leaning could pick something out of this movie because on the one hand it's about like class warfare and the exploitation of the working class and you know the sort of the the rich people who do nothing while while the poor suffer but then on the other hand it's about like an entitled white guy who turns to violence when everything doesn't go his way but then it's also about society not treating the mentally ill well like it's 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 everything and nothing well i found it to be kind of wildly contradictory about the way it treats the arthur fleck character itself because it kind of vilifies mental illness in a way that's really despicable. At the same time, they want to celebrate him as like a rock star for sticking it to the 1%. Yeah. So which one is it? You know, he wants to have it all both ways. And there's definitely a glorification of this person and the violence. You know, there's is a, a key moment, a key image, and this is not a spoiler, but like he's on top of a cab and people are cheering him and like that's it's a, he's a rock star. He's he's like our hero. Now yeah. he's the hero of the downtrodden the and then yeah. the disenfranchised. Right. That's it, that's the taxi driver influence, yeah. right? Like, um, yeah. I you know it's funny. My score is going to be really pretty much the same as Alonzo's, and I like it and dislike it. I think for somewhat different reasons. Okay. I think that you know I often think about can you have a movie where almost everything works except the plot. And, and this is this is I think an example of that. Like I think it's I think the cinematography really works. Yeah. I think that the music really works. I think that the you know is it overdone sometimes? I, you know it's repetitive in that the the I think the way it's cut and the way the plot and the story plays out like it has no choice but to be. Um, I think it works in a lot of places. Like some of the uh, some of the. You know, if we're following Fleck through this whole thing, you know, there is, uh, well, I'll talk about that in the spoiler a little bit. I don't want to spoil anything, but there's, you know, I think some of the choices I think worked really well. There are absolute references to previous Joker stories from the comics. Absolutely. Oh, yeah. There's like, and we don't want to give away two. We'll talk about that in the story. You mentioned one of them in our previous, when you came back from your Venice report. Yeah. Um, There's a couple of things, you know, there's some, there's... There's one particular thing that is completely unnecessary. Um, what, <laughs> what, what bothered me about this is that 
you know, it's hard to separate the art from the artist in this particular case. And knowing what Todd Phillips has talked about being, oh, you can't be funny anymore in this culture. Like, all right, sure. Have you not heard about Jojo Rabbit? Have you not heard about, like... Tell it to Phoebe Waller-Bridge. Right, like, all right, Good boys, book smart. Um, Right. It's always sunny in Philadelphia. You can be inappropriate. Dolomite, which we're going to talk about next, is totally raunchy and inappropriate, but hilarious. So, uh, you know, this strikes me as, as it it... I can't help but look at this film as like, oh, Todd Phillips feels like a victim here, mm-hmm. and and this is <laughs> this is all of his victim. Like, you know, it, on its best face, this movie says, look, like we can't just write people off, right? And and I think it could be an indictment of like, you can't write off people that have clearly mental health issues, and everybody needs to be seen, and and we need to. You know, rather than shun people, like let's get to what's going on with them. A lack, and, of, and, a lack of compassion creates monsters, right? And and you know, in a world with compassion, we would not see Fleck go where he goes in this movie, right? Absolutely not. Um, that being said, it's again, you know, this is a movie that I think executes what it's trying to say fairly well. But what it's trying to say in the plot is, A, like the plot's inconsistent with what it's trying to do because, like you said, it is all over the place. But its core message to me is like, oh, feel bad for Todd Phillips? Like, (laughs) right? And I know people are going to get all over me about this, but I don't really care. Um, I just don't buy that. Like, it's hard to look at a guy like Todd Phillips and say, like, oh, you're the victim, right? Like, that's where you're coming from this? You You know, the other thing, too, is, is a little bit like... You know, and we'll talk about this deeper and where I think this movie is in our spoiler review. Part of the appeal of Joker, like, I don't, you know, to me, the best cinematic Joker has been what we got from Heath Ledger mm-hmm. in that he keeps changing his story. Like, the, you know, and, and the best way to sum him up is when Michael Caine says, when Alfred says, some men just want to watch the world burn. Like, what's great about the Joker is that there is no story. Like, sure, there's been comics that have talked about, you know, the killing joke, and there's and that gets referenced in this, gets talked, you know, talks about, like, oh, the bad day that he had. But even then, like, there's later, you know, in the comics. It's they're, chaotic. They're, it's chaotic. And, you know, the Joker's chaotic evil, right? Yeah. Like, he absolutely is, and there is no... So as much as as Batman is this figure that ultimately has a plan for everything, what's great about the Joker and what's chilling about him is that he can change origin stories, and the origin doesn't matter. And right. I don't want to know the origin of the Joker. Like that's as much as the first Burton Batman is pretty solid. Like don't don't tie Joker to the Batman origin. And in this one, like, I don't want to know where the Joker comes from. Like there's, it's, I, I don't want to know. I don't think it works. And ultimately for what the Joker is as a foil to Batman, I think this movie does that character a disservice, right? Like you want to go someplace else and make a different crazy character. And you know what? Again, the better version of this movie is taxi driver. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. Well, Absolutely. And I'll, you know, or, or I will say the last thing, the better, more recent version of this story is skin. You want to watch a movie that covers some of the same ground of somebody who comes from a dreadful background and goes down the path of evil, but then pulls himself, seems to pull out of it, like, but that same origin story, watch Skin. I think Skin covers a lot. Jamie Bell is a white supremacist who has to have his his white supremacist tattoos removed. I think Skin is a much better take on this type of where a lack of compassion can 
send someone. Mm. Not over and above the fact that, like, yes, skin shows that when compassion comes into it, somebody comes out of it. Um, I think skin's a much better kind of exercise in that mm. in in this plot that's i mean joker gets compassion but only from his mom right i mean that's the only person who, who was kind to him even his own his his social worker that he's assigned to go see can only do so much i, I mean I only his mom loves him i would well we'll talk about this in the spoiler i don't mm. think that his mom is that compassionate like i would argue that yeah, she's, not. she's like a narcissist herself that character yeah right. and you know when you talk about not needing a joker origin story i mean like there have always i think you know over time there have always been multiple ones you know there was the whole red hood thing um so i think there is i don't i don't necessarily mind having one just because they'll undo it later anyway like that's sort of the, the idea of the, of the character maybe we'll talk about this in this in the spoiler review i think this movie itself undoes it this is also true because we, yeah, we're, yeah, we're, we'll, we're, de- we'll, we're dealing with yes right. uh but I, I did i did want to throw out real quick a, a, a one line in my rap review that has been like wildly misunderstood by many people um it, where I, I said if you pull the joker and his 80 year history out of this movie you're not left with much and they think i meant taking the joker like the, the arthur fleck character out of the movie like no if this were a movie, if, if the Joker mythos were not laid over this movie, it were merely about a guy named Arthur Fleck in right. this in this thing, we would look at this and be like, mm, this is kind of a half-assed Scorsese yeah, ripoff. Absolutely. But, but it's got the whole, like, comic book mythology yes. attachment, right. which would right. give its own sense is, of importance. Right. This is a... It's a, Gotham City, and there are people named Wayne. Right. This is a, <laughs> a multi-million dollar cast of thousands, half-baked... Yeah, uh, taxi driver remake that, that you wouldn't get without the DC weight. Sure, and that cast of thousands actually does include some cool folks. You know, Francis Connery said his mother, Zazie Beetz doesn't get enough to do, but she's always terrific. Uh, Bill Camp and Shea Wiggum mm-hmm. uh, as the as right. the cops who are coming after, which is like you know, character actor jackpot. Mm-hmm. Brian Tyree Henry, oh, right. like all these yeah. really fun people are in it at least. Yeah, I saw this the same day I saw Lucy in the Sky. It was the Zazie Beetz watch people go crazy double feature. <laughs> well. Well, the actual double feature to be had is Joker and Dolomite because they have a lot in common too, which we will get to, which we'll get to in our Dolomite right. review. So I'm saying four. I said five and a half. I, I you know, like you said, I, I do respect the craft of it. I, I like the way this movie looks. I like, you know, I, I think it's it, it is it is made with a great deal of care in everything but the writing. <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm right there with Alonzo. Actually, I think we. He basically said what I thought, uh, 5.5. Our numbers are five. It is at 70% on the tomato meter. It's sort of been flirting with that, like, high 60s, low 70s there. But it is so divisive. So we're so curious to hear what you guys think. So let us know when you see it, because I know you're going to see it. I, I want to know what our listeners and viewers think. We're, we're having a fascinating weekend <laughs> in that, like, Marvel fans are mad at Martin Scorsese for not loving them enough. You mean Martin scores easy? <laughs> oh. And, uh, and DC fans are mad because, because uh, Joker doesn't have 100% of Rotten Tomatoes and you know no dissent is allowed apparently. So yeah, anyway, so uh, we're gonna do a Joker spoiler in a little bit. So please stick around for that. Um, yes. So let's move on now to Dolomite is my name, which as I was watching it, I realized has a lot in common with Joker, which we will get to eventually. Who wants to describe Dolomite? 
Uh, I will. Okay. But then I want you to explain how this works. I will. <laughs> all, right, so, um, all right. So uh, Rudy Ray Moore is a uh, aspiring star. He's recorded music. He's done stand-up. Uh, and he currently works in the Dolphins record store in Los Angeles. Uh, struggling to get by. Struggling to make it big. He's from Arkansas. He's moved to L.A. to pursue his dream and kind of hasn't really gone anywhere. Uh, and decides that he's going to take some of the classic uh, jokes and lines and rhymes that he's heard from the bums on the street and some of the guys that were in prison and turn that into his act and create a character called Dolomite. And lo and behold, it's a huge hit. He sells a bunch of records underground because nobody will release the records because they're too dirty uh, until they decide to. And then he decides to make a movie, but nobody wants him to give the money. So he kind of, nobody wants to give him the money. So then he makes it himself. And then that turns out to be a hit. And lo and behold, uh, Dolomite ends up being this huge phenomenon almost through sheer strength of will of Rudy Ray Moore, uh, and this movie is hilarious, and it features a terrific performance by Eddie Murphy and a great performance by Wesley Snipes, who we've not seen put in something mm. great in a long mm. time. Uh, this movie's hilarious, and I loved it. Yeah, I, I mean, at least since World War II, we always talk about movies generally speaking as like the director and this is what the director makes and what the, you know the the what's a hitchcockian film or what's a john ford film and i think one of the last of the great sort of screenwriter auteurs is the team of larry karaszewski and scott alexander who did ed wood and the people versus larry flint and um big eyes and i think this movie very much is in keeping with their sort of like outsiders with a crazy dream who make a thing happen and impact the culture even though the culture does not want them. Um, you know, there are a lot of, there's a lot of Ed Wood in this movie. There's a dollop even of Larry Flint in terms of fighting right. against censorship and, and, you know, sort of, you know, what people will accept in terms of, you know, adult material. Uh, but the real story here is Eddie Murphy. <laughs> Eddie Murphy is a movie star and he reminds us that he is a movie star in this movie because uh, he's amazing. There's a lot of fun meta stuff to be had here with watching Eddie Murphy play a character who is like clawing back toward, you know, attention and respect and respectability. Um, there's so much of the swagger of what made him... Like the, the, the beginning, the whole big spiel he gives in the beginning is like vintage fast-talking, raunchy, inappropriate, hilarious Eddie Murphy. And that's like a blast to watch off the top. Um, this is a surprisingly sweet movie. It's, Very, it's yeah. incredibly inappropriate. Like they say motherfucker like 375 <laughs> times, yeah. I think. Um, but uh, it's also got this really kind of classic, like let's put on a show oh, energy yeah. because no one really knows what they're doing. But like through sheer will and the help of unpaid UCLA film school <laughs> students led by Cody Smith McPhee, um, they get this made and it's hilarious. Yeah. I, like it's almost weirdly sexless in a way. Like there are no the sex scene is a jokey sex scene. Well, no, the sex yeah. scene in Dolomite. Yeah, yeah, but I mean, like in terms of like, there's like none of these characters seem to be in relationships that matter all that much. I think we see one girlfriend and one party scene. Like for the most part, it's just like these guys who are just like really committed to this idea and trying to make stuff happen for themselves. And it is a quintessentially LA story that way. But like you know, usually in the sort of like rise to fame stories, there's always the montage of the like you know, you know, you get your sad orgy from uh, from. from 
from Rocket walk, Man, you know, or right. walk hard. Exactly, but like, there's no sex in this movie. Like, they, they are or all. Least, everybody's got right. their eyes on the prize. Right. I mean, to be clear, like, they do cover the sex scene that's in Dolomite. But yes, they, but, but I'm talking about the, right. the characters off right. screen. There's and, a there's there's an innocence to the way they present Dolomite's character and, and arc, um, or Rudy Ray Moore in that, you know, it's very much like. Hey, look, this is what we're trying to do, but we're also having a good time. Like, we're, yes, we're putting the work in, but it, it comes from this place of, like, just just desire. Like, there's no scheming to it. Like, he's right. not, you know, you see some of these things where you'll yeah, see. You get signed to the label and you think, oh, no, they're going to screw him over. And they don't. <laughs> right. But you, but you see, you know, you'll see stories about people clawing their way to the top and they don't care who they step on on the sure. way up. And this movie presents, like. It's more like Moore is is willing to bring along anyone that he thinks is talented and good, and and he's cool with that. And he's not trying to like at least the movie will show that he that he's not trying to screw anyone over. He's not taking advantage yeah. of people. It's like friends in a community. And it's like friends in a community, and he's not above you know he'll he'll put whatever work in he needs to do. He'll bitch about it, but he'll put the work in. Yeah, and he's not really taking any shortcuts. And and that's an interesting. Something that I hadn't really realized. Now, I don't know how true that is necessarily, um, but the character of Dolomite being this, you know, this bad motherfucker who's, you know, who's like, I'm here, you know, and wrecking motherfuckers is my game. Like, that's not who Rudy Ray Moore is. No. Right? And, the, and, the, and he talks about, like, when he first meets um, Lady... Uh, Reed. Lady Reed. Like, he talked, he's like, ah, that's just a character. Like, let's come up with a, you know, and, and he spots something in her and brings her along and... You know, the movie does a little bit, maybe go a little over the top with, like, there's a, you know, when she later talks about, like, and I hesitate to say it's it's a little spoon-fed when she's like, you know, it matters that I never saw anyone like myself on screen. Um No, but that is a that's a lovely scene. But that's a, it's we, a lovely scene. I'm a little worried that they overplay it a little bit. No, do, you, do you recognize, by the way, the actress who plays Lady Reed? I was just going to say that. Do you know who that is? Divine Joy Randolph, who is From Kirsten Dunst's best friend on, in on, on Becoming right, a God. Yes. Central Florida, yeah. and which she, we're recapping on Patreon. Yeah, so join us there. No, and she has such tremendous screen presence. She's oh, yeah. lovely oh, yeah. and sexy and funny and like every bit Eddie Murphy's equal and like leaps off the screen. But then she also also can have a really believably tender moment like mm-hmm. this one that you think does not work. <laughs> I, I, it, it's a little on the nose, but by right, that point in the I movie, mean. I was like, I'll allow it. You know, it, it, it was, I, it didn't take me out of it. But yeah, the ensemble is great. Wesley Snipes is hilarious. Okay, let's talk about Wesley Snipes. Oh my God. Right? Like, <laughs> Wesley Snipes has gotten, you know, you hear, he gets the bad rap for like being too in character on the set of Blade. Mm. And, <laughs> you know, all, like, we haven't seen him for a while, but this is a great reminder of like, Snipes is capable of great work and Great comedy. Comedy, yeah. I mean, like, like great comedy. You go, you know, going like back to Wong Fu. To Wong Fu, he's so funny in that. Yeah. And this is, I, I, I would love to jump. see him do more comedy. And he's so great in this as uh, Derville Martin. Derville Martin, who's he's like the drunk, one guy right. with any Hollywood cred involved right. in this production. Right. And he's like just aghast at everything. Right. And he's drinking his way through the day and he's just like, okay, fine. Yeah. Uh, like, after, after one really just ridiculous take, he goes, 
I see no reason to do that again. <laughs> exactly. We, we should mention that Craig Brewer directed this. We've yes. not said the name Craig Brewer yet. And this is sort of in his wheelhouse as well in terms of like people who have an artistic dream, whether it's Hustle and Flow true, or true. his Footloose remake. So he seems to gravitate toward that kind of scrappy outsider character trying to assert themselves creatively as well. Um, the movie moves so beautifully. It's got multiple montages, which I usually am like, ah. Oh, another montage is such a cheap way to do things but they're all so like zippy and fun and, and right. charting their progress here also we should mention um ruth e carter is yes. your costume designer academy yes, yes. award oh winner God. ruth e carter amazing. who yeah. did um she did black panther she's a veteran costume designer and and it's it's not like cheesy parody like you're getting dressed up for a halloween party oh, it's no, like no. It's richly richly detailed in the polyester and in yeah. the fabrics and, and the, the giant the patterns those shirts with the zipper with the ring <laughs> you know like yeah just yeah she just gets the the the, the mundane and i mean there are some wildly flashy outfits as well right. but but yeah, just just the sort of the the the, the quotidian nineteen seventies. <laughs> she really knows. There's a great ensemble cast here. You've got Titus Burgess and Mike Epps, Snoop Dogg, Snoop Dogg. Titus Craig Burgess Robinson. is great in this. Craig Robinson is yeah. um, playing the guy who wrote the music, which was Don Cornelius wrote the music. I don't know that he's actually playing. Really? Oh, Don funny. Cornelius yeah, wrote the music yeah. for. For uh, Dolomite. Dolomite, I don't know that Craig oh, Robinson funny. is specifically playing, playing Don okay. Cornelius. He's not. He's playing Ke- someone. Ben Ke- Taylor. Keegan Michael Key is like the serious playwright who somehow winds up writing the screenplay for this thing. Yeah, um, yeah. This is just. I was. It, it, it has the same kind of charm as Ed Wood in terms of these people. Putting together, I mean, like, they show you clips from the actual Dolomite over the closing right. credits. It's a, looks ridiculous. I need to, I gotta watch it. But, it's yeah, on, it's but, dead it's on. on Amazon. <laughs> but these people, but it's about people making this thing with such love and making a thing because nobody else was gonna do it. But also, one of the things this movie does, and this is where it's different than Ed Wood, like, they know they're screwing around, right? Like, there's mm. there's scenes, like, they cut the clip, the, the instant replay clip. Like, you get to see yeah. the instant replay clip when he first show the movie that's in Dolomite, right? And it's like, oh, these guys knew that... They like, aren't they taking themselves right, entirely seriously. Right. Yeah. It's not... This movie at least puts across the idea that Dolomite is not unintentionally funny. Sure. That it's intentionally funny, right? And and you catch a big of, a bit of that when they're getting the reviews and they're all kind of bummed out until he here's the one review that's like it's lewd and crass, <laughs> vulgar and, <coarse laughs> and vulgar. He's like, that's great. That's the review we want. <laughs> it was like, yeah, all right. Right. Edward thought he was making serious art. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but but it, it, I don't know, it, has that, it has that same kind of fun spirit to it. And just like so many great performances, notably like like the best thing that, that I mean, I was reminded by our friend Robert, um, Dreamgirls was 10 years ago. More than that. Wow. 2006, right? Oh, I, maybe. Okay, it was at least 10 It was years a while ago. ago so yeah. we've had a great Eddie Murphy performance. So, you know, it, that's been a while for that. And uh, who knows how long it's been since we've had a great Wesley Snipes performance. Uh, yeah, this, this this movie is just like it's it's upbeat and fun and lovely. it is sheer joy. Okay, so hear me out real fast on my Joker comparison. Oh yes. All right. Oh, yes. So they're both about people who are like scrapping their way toward wanting to be loved and respected as comedians on stage. Um, they are disenfranchised. They are counted out. They are repeatedly discouraged, but they keep coming back because they have this dream of a certain kind of 
celebrity or stardom or notoriety or something, and they don't care what they have to do. They will make that happen. Um, they both have a dad who is absent. They both have, well, so Frances Conroy is a mom to uh, um, Arthur Fleck, and we have Lunell here instead as his auntie. But there are, are similar kinds of like character details and a similar kind of drive toward this single-minded focus of creative desire that they want to put forth. Boom. No. <laughs> I mean, nope. I, I, I guess I, I, I guess I'll, I, I guess I'll buy that. Like both movies are about protagonists who. At least, at least one of them could legitimately be seen to have challenges. Um, I mean, okay, sure, they both do. But one of them, I would say Dolomite doesn't approach this from the standpoint of Rudy Ray Moore as a victim, right? Like, it acknowledges a lot of the challenges that he's had to go through. Um, what I, one of the things that I found fascinating in this movie... Um, at the risk of sounding like that guy, uh, was the way, like, there's that, there's the, the way that Moore and some other folks would talk about, like, oh, you're just from the farm. Like, the way that they would, like, the, the inner kind of tension and kind of disparagement within the black community towards, like, rural. Urban, urban versus rural. Yeah, like, I... Right, I just found that like that was really interesting. Um, right, and again, like I, I don't want to sound like that guy, but that was a thing that the movie even acknowledges that because because outside of that community, I don't think that gets a lot of coverage. Mm. And so that the movie, you know, because the the thing that like there's this scene where Moore is kind of ranting into the mirror, kind of his complaints about his father and or his stepfather and where he's where he is now compared to where his stepfather ever was mm. that ends up becoming something in the movie yeah. and something that he and his friends share. Um, and that was just, that was an interesting moment and kind of a little bit of insight over and above the obvious stuff that you sure. get within that community. And that's I, also like, that's kind of how he bonds with the Keegan Michael Key character. Right. They both got the hell out of Arkansas. Like, right. yeah, no, I mean, I, I, and I, I think that, I mean, look, I, it's not my place to say whether or not this movie gets the racial politics or the racial milieu right. But well, even, though the, so with, even with, though the screenwriters are white, I think you have a black director and a mostly black cast. Craig Brewer is white. Really? Yeah. Oh my god, I never Isn't knew this. He? I thought he was black. All right. Oh my god, I have no idea. Okay, so, so there's a white director, and white creators. <laughs> I still think that, like, obviously Eddie Murphy is not going to take on a thing where you know he doesn't believe that it's being presented correctly because he is. Oh my god, thing I learned today. <laughs> I learned Craig Brewer is a white guy. Okay, um, right. Craig Robinson is the black guy. Well, the yes, movie. I. Not all Craigs. Okay. Uh, <laughs> no. Anyway, so I, I don't. I can't speak to that. Obviously, but I'm going to give them the benefit of the doubt that you know the the everybody else involved with this film would not have would have either like not signed on or would have had notes or whatever if they you know right. knew better. And I'm sure, obviously, you know, Rudy Ray Moore is an antecedent of Murphy's in a lot of way in terms of being this really kind of you know bold stand up. He's, right. he's sort of like. He's the the guy between Red Fox and Eddie Murphy. Well, and right. Richard Pryor, obviously, that same generation. Right. Um, well, right. So but, I'm sure Murphy was familiar with his life and knew his stuff. Right. But, you know, he also 
you know, arguably goes farther than Red Fox and, you know, Red Fox and, and Pryor were going into areas of language in a different direction sure. um, than Rudy Ray Moore. I mean, again, you like, you basically see Rudy Ray Moore like, oh, I'm going to pull all these old tired jokes and, and ramp them up and make them my own. Right. And the audience responded to him, right? Similar, like, I don't want to necessarily use Andrew Dice Clay as a comparison, but it, it's not, it's a little bit similar, like, Man, you get you're getting laughs with that stuff, and there were and there were people like as he's talking about it, like his friends are like, "This is never going to work, right? You're yeah. not going to get laughs from the stuff that Rico comes in and like the crap that he lays on us." And and what Moore sees in there is this like, "Oh, there's potential there, and I'm going to ramp it up, and I'm going to go so over the top, right? You know, and it works." And and the other thing I liked about this is you get, and I think Murphy sells this really well, like kind of the the salesmanship as well as it's not just the salesmanship, but like the, you know, no one sells like a true believer. Right. And he, and Murphy's presentation of more is that like he can think on his feet and he'll come up with anything to close the deal and seal the deal and really make that connection. But by the same token, you know, towards the end of the movie, you see him like, Oh, there's people that are going to wait out here for two hours to see this movie. All right. I'm here for them. Right, yeah. Like, I'm going to be here with them. I'm not going to go sit in the movie. And that, and that is not unearned um, because you <laughs> see that aspect of him all along in the film. So when he, you know, there'd be other, I think, other stories where somebody would do that similar thing. Like, eh, that's a little hackneyed. But this one, it fits in with the way they're presenting that character. He's I, a yeah. man of the people is what he yeah. is. All right. So what are your numbers then, So friends? this movie is in, th- it's in theaters right now, limited, but it's going to be premiering on Netflix in a few weeks, right? Or early November? We saw it at Netflix. Yeah. It's, it, 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 <laughs> but, not, it, but, but not on a TV. If it is not showing in a theater near you, it will be on Netflix very soon. Okay. I'm saying eight. It's a total blast. Uh, I said 7.8. I had a great time. I don't know why you guys liked it. Not as much as me. I give it an eight and a half. I'm changing my number. Oh. Eight and a half. Hang on. <laughs> Don't make me do math. Eight. Add point. Oh, that's an 8.1. 8.1. Okay, it's at 98% on the tomato meter. Everyone likes it because it's awesome. So go check out Dolomite is my name. And then if you have not already seen the original Dolomite, that's a fun thing to do as well. Yes, go you can play. rent it on Amazon. Watch it with the kids. Dolomite <laughs> is for the children. And Dolomite is my name is also right about another thing. Uh, the Billy Wilder remake of the front page is not his best work okay uh thanks for watching talk serious shit about that movie we are now going to delve deep deep into the acid vat of joker spoilers (laughs) for you um so hopefully you have already seen the movie if you're listening to this if you're watching this if not we have warned you joker spoilers do we have the anymore anyway um so first off just when you thought you were going to get to see a movie in the Batman universe without the dreaded moment in front of the theater where Bruce <laughs> watches his parents right. get How killed with the pearls falling mm. in slow motion on the sidewalk. Well, you'd be wrong because well, we see that. However, instead of going to see Zorro like they did in the 30s, now they're seeing Zorro the Gay Blade because it's 1981. That was clever. <laughs> here's a question I have for you. And I know that Matt was saying in our, our normal conversation about this that Joker is a man out of time and and there's different versions of joker and not necessarily one origin story Mm. okay so here 
Joker's a grown-ass man, right? Like, Joaquin Phoenix is 40, right? And Bruce Wayne is, like, a little boy. He's, like, eight. So does that mean that, like, in the Heath Ledger, Christian Bale timeline, <laughs> that, that, like, this now negates that? Well, I, don't, the, I don't know. This is, this, this is, like, Gotham syndrome, that TV show, <laughs> where, like, Bruce is a tween, and then, like, but Oswald Cobblepot and all right. these other sort of future rogues gallery people are much older than him. Right, but I that mean, boy isn't that scary. Uh, right, exactly. Right. Like, I mean, I mean, he was like, in the Inquirer. You have, like, you have Lil Selena Kyle and Lil Poison Ivy, so they're at least all about the same age, but there's these other dudes who are much older. Um, yeah, I... Uh, I think I think what this you know what I was saying before about how there there have been different Joker origins and and it's been presented differently oh, is sorry. that um, <laughs> uh, oh thank you uh, no it, I keep shorting it's so weird anyway uh, we have a lot of unreliable narrators here we don't we can't rely this, yeah. on Arthur we can't rely on Arthur's mother to be telling the truth so we don't know is Arthur Fleck Thomas Wayne's son. I mean, when, no, you, when you see I, him looking at the folder in the hallway of the mental of Arkham Asylum, Arkham Asylum. Um, he sees, um, you know, that her folder says she's delusional right. And, right. and he's adopted, right? So, yes. But at the same time, like, Thomas Wayne is rich and powerful and could have changed. Like, the, I think the movie gives itself a lot of outs. Like, I don't think he is necessarily is, but if they wanted to come back later and say that he was and that Wayne manipulated the paperwork and blah, 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 that's perfectly uh, a possibility so who's to say if any of you know how much and 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 given the big twist regarding zazy beats where we think they're having a relationship and then we find out that it's all in his head right. how much of this movie is in his head if that well was, that's okay. matt's theory so a couple things first of all the only good part about the scene where bruce's parents get killed is that when he's standing there in the alley by himself you see in the background super rats Watch that scene closely. You see oh, giant. I didn't, see this. I didn't, super I didn't rats notice that. Yeah. Oh, come on! You don't. It's Chekhov's super rat. You don't announce <laughs> super rats in the first act and not show super and not use super rats right. at the end. Um, so at the very end of the film, uh, we see him. We see Arthur Fleck, um, who I have to can be convinced that he's related to Stacy Fleck. Who's or, that? Or not Stacy? Who's the? Tracy Flick. Tracy, Tracy Flick. That's Tracy Flick. Oh, Flick. I thought it was Flick. Flick. Oh, no. That was a reach. Um, <laughs> I thought it was Flick. Anyway, uh, no, Stacy Flick is her cousin. You look um, like you could use a cupcake. Yeah. Uh, so we see uh, him, we see Arthur Flack in the same room that we get a very brief version of early on in the film because he's talking to his social worker who says, something about being in the hospital and you see him bang his head against the window in a tiled room that matches the room that he's in at the end of the film. Mm. And I think he's made the whole story up in his head. I think Arthur Fleck is not actually the Joker. I think that there is a, he's been in the asylum for, this is probably a reach, but he's been in the asylum long enough to at least have heard about the Joker. Uh, and he's made up this story that he is the Joker and he ends up then killing the social worker or the, the person who's talking to him. And then he runs out of that room and you see the blood on his footsteps as he runs out and then they catch him. But I think the whole thing, because he's an unreliable narrator has, he's made the whole thing up. So if he's not the Joker, then who is, we don't know. Is there a Batman? Yes. I think, <laughs> yeah. But I think that he, I think that the movie, that ending makes us question whether or not he's actually 
the Joker at all because we don't see the permanent grin. Right. Right. We don't see the skin color like, oh, he's explained that all the way. Like it goes in such a different direction from what everything we know that it's like, oh, this is what this guy thinks would make the Joker. I think that we are... It gives us enough of an out to and question that. And this guy has clearly watched Taxi Driver and The King of Comedy. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Right? And he's probably been in there since the 80s, and those are his references. Right. Um, and then something comes up about this Joker character, and that's mm. how he makes it up. Uh, that's, mm, I like that. I think that. that we're meant to think that so that when another Batman movie comes out with another Joker, we're not tied into I see. a specific cinematic universe. Which plays into your theory, Alonzo, that like there is, you know, every Joker is different. Yeah, yeah. There's no one story that ever sticks. Uh, I, I did want to mention real quick the uh, we had talked about before the the moment where he goes on uh, Robert De Niro's talk show. Oh, I had that scene spoiled for me. What did he shoot him in the head? Yeah. I had oh. that, wait, wait, I, how? Because there was some somebody who snuck out a clip of I assume was Venice, uh, oh. like somebody oh. was shooting something at Venice, and it was like showing some yeah. scene on the talk show, and like an idiot, I watched it. Oh, uh, yeah. never look. That's at on yeah. you, dude. But that's that scene is <laughs> that right, scene out, is of, right of, out of Frank Miller's The Dark Knight Returns, right. where uh, the Joker goes on the David Endocrine show, right. um, and down to having a Doctor Ruth style sex expert yep. sitting on the other side of him. Like they they clearly were using that scene in the comics as a basis for this thing, but right, I, and it pull it also pulls from the Red Hood in that like oh he was a failed stand up right right and it pulls from the Killing Joke because he mentions like oh I'm just like the Killing Joke is like oh it's one bad day right, right. And, he keep, and he says a couple times like it's been a bad day I thought there was uh, Richard Brody in the New Yorker had an interesting read on the violence in the film where he talks about how. The 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 part at the beginning where the kids steal a sign and then beat him in the alley is clearly meant to mirror the Central Park Five. Mm. Oh, really? Well, that was Brody's right. read on it. And of course, Central Park okay. Five didn't do anything and have been right. are now the exonerated five. But like, but 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 in this movie's mythos, no, this is the kind of thing that happens in New York City. And then later, when he shoots those guys on the subway, yeah, it's Bernard Getz. It's Bernard Getz. Yeah. Oh, let's talk about the scene in the subway. Where these random Wall Street assholes no send in the clowns. Yes, they, they like are the second verse, fanatics. The second verse, too. They keep going. Like, that, <laughs> that, like, that was that, a big hit at that time, though. That got a lot of airplay. That took me out of it. I, I, I went with it just because I had just seen Marriage Story, where two different people sing a, a song from Company. So I was like, okay, it was, we all know Sondheim. Now. It's fine. <laughs> um, but, yeah, it's... Again, it is that thing where, like, the we, we are... The, he commits this act of brutality, but we're also supposed to empathize with him because he's being abused by these assholes. It's and problematic. It's like, yeah, and it's it's and again, and it's that thing of like, well, so Wall Street guys are assholes, and this is the proletariat rising against them, and that's awesome. But then at the same time, this is also the, the, you know about the poor victimized white guy and how he can't get ahead in this world. And you know, again, again, like I said before, I think this movie is. Is saying everything and ultimately not saying anything. Yes, it is, it is ultimately quite empty, and I felt nothing coming out of it. It, it wants it, all it, the cakes yeah. and to eat them, too. Even yeah. if they're contradictory cakes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> the other thing, too, is the, that the movie, you know, going into the talk show scene, you know, it very much sets up like, oh, he's going to kill himself. Right? Like he's he, playing he, with a gun right, with his chin. And, yeah. and he acts out like how he's going to do it all. Um, and then, you know, Phoenix does a good job of, of showing you where he changes his mind. 
during the show, during the discussion he's sure. having with with uh, what, what's the Mar, um, De Niro's character, De Niro's character uh, <laughs> Joe Franklin, right? <laughs> he, you know, he he has that. He changes his mind and then shoots him. Um, but I think that the whole idea that he's going on that show to kill himself somewhat takes away from at least the what Miller was doing with that scene. And so it takes an element of that scene sure. that in, in the comic, Miller lays the groundwork for, and it fits in with the way he's presenting the Joker. Um, and this one, it's like, oh, well, that it, it, I think it shows the writer's misunderstanding of like, oh, that's a good shocking moment. Let's do that. And it's like, well, yeah, but that doesn't, I don't think that really works with what he's doing. Because now it's not, oh, he's being driven to it by these terrible right. people. Mm. Right. They're and making they, fun of him. You know, yeah. and they, the other thing that they do is they're, they, I think they, they set up that, you know, that laughing issue that he has is, you know, similar to a kind of Tourette's, yeah. um, the way it's presented. And the movie, by the time, by the end of the movie, as he's taken, as he's off his medication, the laugh's not there anymore. And the laugh is his real laugh. Like now he actually thinks it's funny. And so it makes me think like, all right, so is the laughing a side effect of the medication? Is that like, it's really because he seems to be more together as he's off his meds um, together in that he's as much as he may be now psychotic, he's sharper and he's got more, more going on than he might've had previously. Um, but then the element of the laugh doesn't fit in with what, like, the classic Joker would, or not even classic. Like, it just doesn't, it doesn't make, it stops making sense. I, um, yeah, I do want to say, though, you reminded me the, 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 of the lead up to the talk show. The scene on the street is like it's one of the posters now where he's dancing in that suit. Right. Is an amazing moment. Right. That's a great. And, like, that, that's, that's, a, that's a moment that we're going to, I think, look back on. As, as, as much as this movie gives me spilkis and I think doesn't work, like, there are these individual moments like that where, like, it's just stunning. And I think it is that, cinema. It is, like, yeah, pure right. motion and, and movement. I, and and yeah. I think that the scene mm-hmm. in the subway where the two cops are trying to chase him down oh, and, he puts the other and he's clown with all the other clown yeah, masks yeah. in and he starts the fight and like the whole riot starts in the subway like that's a great bit i think yeah. that's a great really tense really powerful scene like there's a lot of really you know and there's and one of the things that both the music does and because we we know what phoenix is capable of partly because the movie relies on the history of the joker character and partly because Phoenix can be such an explosive, explosive actor. There are moments where he's walking around, even in his own apartment building, where you think, "Oh, is he going to murder Stacey Beats no. and her kid?" Like, is he going to snap? Like, he could snap at any moment. And the movie, rightly so, has to rely on our knowledge of the Joker to lead us in that direction. Um, but then all the other stuff it does with the mythos of the Joker, I think, takes away with that. And I think the movie kind of wants it both ways. Like, it, it wants us to to take some of our knowledge to ramp up our tension, but then it wants to mess with it whenever it wants and not deliver or not be true to what the character's kind of capability is. And so I think that that's 
where some of the the writing and the plot and the script lets it all down. Like, the, and, and when I talk about the script, like I think the dialogue's good. I think there's plenty of good dialogue in this. It's not that it's hackneyed dialogue. It's more the plot and where it's trying to right. go. The ideas um, behind and it. The ideas behind it, I think, are where the mess is. And his performance really is truly the main thing that's worth seeing here because he does go to really disturbing places and really unpredictable places. And so you are sort of on edge, like as Matt was saying, like, yeah. oh, God, what's going to happen next? Um, if we're, if we're listing individual sequences that are good, one more just occurred to me. When those kids are chasing him through the street, like that is kinetic. That is yeah. thrilling because mm. they're in the midst of traffic and there's like a long tracking right. shot that like follows them along the sidewalk sideways. Anyway, continue. And, and they do a good job of, of, of recapturing that sort of like, you know, I think in my review of the rap, I said they turned Gotham City into Fun City, like that, that horrible 1970s New York, just yeah. like the pre Giuliani New York. Yeah, right. you know, and right. so with like, the garbage strike. Yeah, and yeah, like, yeah. yeah. And, and like, I, and I love, the, like, I always love when a movie like that will use the old Warner Brothers logo. Yeah. You know, the, the right. three worms, as they call it, that Saul Bastard uh, designed. Um, yeah, I, you know, but we had, the other thing that we talked about, and the other one that we didn't want to give away was the 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 reveal in this film that is then undone by the explanation of the reveal. Oh. So, the, the movie has led us to believe that he and Zazie Beetz have kind of begun this relationship um, after they've you know she's a neighbor, they've met in the elevator, and there's a scene where he's sitting in her apartment, and she comes out, and she's horrified that he's there and like it's clear that she doesn't really know him she, she asks his name yeah like she has some vague idea that he's the guy he's you know right. in That's, the building it's the fight club ripoff exactly <laughs> and it's like and it's this moment like oh, oh oh okay you know and and i think just about anybody will, mm-hmm. will put that together in their head but todd phillips does not believe that you the moviegoer can are capable of this because then he has to show you all these scenes where we thought they were together but he was by himself and just you know having a delusion and it's like Come on, yeah. Todd. That, I guess that was that very actually, frustrating. For that me. takes away from my theory that it's all in his head. Because if Todd Phillips had meant that, then he would have spoon fed it to us. Oh, oh yeah. Right. Good maybe, point. Maybe I'm giving him more than than he's actually. Yeah, that, that's true. Done. You're right. Yeah. Well, I think we're we're giving him too much credit. Maybe anyway. Well, we'll be curious to hear what you guys think when you see it. Um, if you if you liked it, it is is very divisive and. Hopefully there will be no ridiculous violence at theaters this weekend. Um, There's it, already been one screening that I think was interrupted because of a credible threat. In Huntington mm. Beach, they had to shut down a showing on Thursday night, I want to say. So there's, there's at least that one. Um, but hopefully this will not happen because it's just ridiculous and stupid and not worth it. So One would hope. Yes. So, yes. Um, don't don't uh-huh. do anything stupid. Like, like, yeah. Don't. Just, yeah. Everybody be cool. That's our advice to you. I was going to say, don't do anything stupid like see this movie, but it's not that bad. It's not that bad. (laughs) No, I mean, even though I didn't like it, I do think it's worth seeing from a cultural perspective for the performance. It is a thing we're talking about, and and it is... Yeah, it, this is. It, it would be easier to dismiss this movie if it were mere hackery, but it's yeah. not. It's there's there's something going there's on. There's a in lot there. going on in here. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, so thank you guys so much for hanging out with us today. Um, on Monday, I'm going to have an interview with my girlfriend Jamie Lynn Littman, who is a filmmaker. She's an actress turned filmmaker. Her first big on screen credit. Her first on screen credit period mm-hmm. was in Boogie Nights. 
Well, she was 19 years old. She'd moved to Hollywood to be an actress, and she was in Boogie Nights. Matt, right. you've actually met her, Matt, because she did, did a, a wine the, the flick with me when we did one on the disaster artist. She mm. came with me to go uh. see that. So that's on Monday. Um, but thank you all for hanging out with us. As Alonzo is fond of saying, um, follow us in all the places Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. We are at Be Fast All Day. We have a Patreon that we'd love for you to join and listen and watch us talk about trailers. And movie news and television recaps of On Becoming a God in Central Florida. And Watchmen coming soon. We're going to do Watchmen, and we've got another um, poll for you guys to vote in of horror movies for us to review later on this month because it is October. Can you guys see the pumpkin? Is a, is a pumpkin visible in our in our thing? Baby pumpkin. <laughs> it's uh, it's Halloween. So it anything is. else you guys want to add? Um, um, you should name it David. <laughs> David, David S. David S. David uh, if you're watching this on YouTube, like us and uh, subscribe, please. Yes. All of that. Thanks, yeah. guys. And thanks to both of you. Thank you. For hanging thanks out for with me. Thank you. Thank you. Bye.